You're listening to the Alchemy of Self podcast with Romza. The world is currently in a state of rebirth. All of the systems we have inherited are collapsing and failing us as a species. It's time for us to come together and create something out of nothing. If you crave deeper purpose, unshakable strength, and a life aligned with your truth, this is for you. This is for you if you are curious and not afraid to ask questions. This podcast is for those searching for their purpose and those ready to step into their full potential. For lovers of truth and those ready for masculine medicine, this podcast is an adventure that gives voice to a journey of healing, discovery, and embodiment. We'll challenge the old narratives we inherited and forge a new path. Join us in this fearless exploration of the multiple dimensions of being human, breathwork, mindset, healing the body, detox, and how to use the gentle way of jujitsu to make you unstoppable in your wellness, business, life, relationships, and more. Welcome back to the Our Deepest Fear podcast with your host, Rome Za or Roman Zaradansky. Today I'm here with a very special guest. His name is Joel Skousen. Yes? Skousen, yes. Skousen. Oh, man. <laughs> That's right. Skousen is the Danish pronunciation, so you got that right. <laughs> okay, now I got it. Joel Skousen is a political scientist by training, specializing in the philosophy of law and constitutional theory, and is also a designer of high-security residences and retreats. He has designed self-sufficient and high-security homes throughout North America and has consulted in Central America as well. His latest book in this field is Strategic Relocation, North American Guide to Safe Places, and is active in consulting with persons who need to relocate for security and increase self-sufficiency. He also assists people who need to live near a large city to develop contingency retreat plans involving rural farming or recreation property. He's the author of four books, which I recommend you check out all of them. I've only checked out two, so I can speak on those, but I'm sure the other ones are spectacular. The Essential Principles for the Conservation of Liberty, The Secure Home, how to implement a high security shelter in your home and strategic relocation, the North American guide to safe places. And he's working on a current book called the foundations of the ideal state, a comprehensive treatise on government structure and practice, constitutional theory and legal changes necessary to preserve liberty and justice. Welcome to our deepest fear, Joel. Thank you. It is good to be with you in these troubling times. For sure. Uh, actually, I thought you would appreciate it. Was, you know what was perfect? That our first uh, part of the interview didn't work out, that we had to jump on Zoom, because that was my contingency plan. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what life's all about. That's what life's all about. You got to have contingency plans. So how did you get into this? Like, how did you find yourself doing this specific, very, very targeted thing? Well, you know, I was, uh, when I got out of college, uh, it was during the Vietnam War, and uh, if you're going to get drafted, you know, you have to volunteer, and I had a college degree, so I volunteered and joined the Marine Corps. I was going to be an infantry officer, and uh, during infantry training, which I did very well, I ended up uh, getting a case of severe shin splints, running in combat boots, the old leather, hard, heavy boots, and... Uh, so they gave me an option. They said, you can get out of the Marine Corps or you can go fly. And I said, well, all right. Uh, I already had a, a private pilot's license, so I said, I'll go fly. And so they sent me to Pensacola, Florida to become a Navy pilot flying for the Marine Corps. And I spent uh, six years of the Marine Corps flying F-4s uh, uh, during the Vietnam era and, uh, and A-4s. Uh, but, you know, I realized that... Um, the military just doesn't want anybody who thinks. The military wants yes men. They want people who will just follow orders and that's not me. I mean, I have to analyze things. I have to find out what's right or wrong. And uh, so I was always criticizing what was going on in the Marine Corps and we just didn't get along. So I got out of the Marine Corps after six years. And uh, you know, when you're a captain in the Marine Corps and you got three kids, it's really hard to go back into uh, any professional job because they want you to start out as a peon. You know, if you're in political science, being science, being a conservative, you know, there's no room in political science for a conservative. So, you know, I had a hobby of, of doing um, 
design. I designed my first high security home uh, when I was 17, knowing that I was going to you know, face real problems in the United States. I am the nephew of W. Cleon Skousen, who wrote The Naked Communist and later The Naked Capitalist. My father died at 17, so Cleon was kind of a second father to me, and he's really a pioneer, uh, one of the modern founding fathers and patriots. He wrote The Making of America on the Constitution. But you know, his, his groundbreaking works on uh, the com uh, naked communist and the naked capitalist were about the infiltration of communism into the United States government during the uh, Roosevelt and Truman administration. But what he p found out was that, you know, the second floor of the State Department was full of communists, but there were people above them that were protecting them so that they couldn't be fired. And who were in the media and everyone, it was infested with a lot of people who weren't communist, but who were protecting them. And in fact, who had brought them into the State Department. And Cleon found out that these were what we now call globalists. Um, and the deep state is the enforcement arm of globalist conspiracy to take away national sovereignty in all the Western countries and, and bring us into a global uh, new world order with military power and with taxing power. And so with this background, uh, I went and I just decided I was going to become a pioneer in the preparedness movement and warn about the upcoming globalist conspiracy. So in 1979, I wrote my first book, The Secure Home. It's been through four editions now, still in publication. Um, I started an architectural firm. Um, uh, designing these things and became a consultant. And interesting enough, when Y2K came around, um, Gary North, who blew the whistle on Y2K and the government wasn't prepared, uh, he's a doctor of economics, but very wise. And uh, he was a friend of mine. He asked me to come on his radio show because, you know, knowing that I had designed high security residences around the North American <laughs> continent, he said, you know, who, who better to tell people what to do during Y2K when everything collapses? Well, even though I didn't think it was going to collapse, I, think, I thought that the government would fix everything. And they did, except for five major faults that happened during Y2K. But I got on the radio and I was talking to people about, you know, uh, how to be self-sufficient, where to go, where the safe places were. And after Y2K came and went, those, and basically it, it didn't uh, cause a collapse of the economy as, as Gary North had thought it would be. I started getting lots of calls from people, well, you know, here I am out in uh, in Ruralsville, and I quit my job, and I run out of money because I found out self-sufficiency is expensive, and, and I don't know how to do a lot of these things. What do I do? And so I told him, well, look, you got to go back into society. You got to reestablish your financial lifeline. You got to build up an nest egg, and then you've got to carefully decide where you want to retreat to. And if you can't leave the big city, you got to have a uh, you know, a secondary contingency plan of where to go. And I realized with those consultations that I needed to write a book on the subject because there was just so much that I could offer. I just couldn't do it in consultation. So the first edition came out in the year 2000. It's been in print ever since for 20 years. It's in its new fourth edition this year. It even covers the COVID phony pandemic and why that's a threat to our liberty. Wow, that's incredible incredible journey uh an incredible history as well it's crazy like uh how the river how the, how the water like flows down you know like we we are just uh the the midget standing on the shoulders of the giants that came before us in so many ways you know <laughs> well you know i i it was in the 1980s too that i i was invited to come back to washington dc to be the chairman of the conservative national committee under the reagan administration and uh it's there that I learned how things work in politics and uh, how corrupt things are, that even many conservatives were corrupt. And uh, so, you know, I developed a lot of sources internationally. Um, that's when I began, well, I actually began studying languages when I was uh, in my early 20s. I now speak and read six languages and uh, it helps me access foreign sources because you know, there's a real wall between foreign sources and the United States. Uh, it's just filtered here and you just don't get uh, what you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and also something that comes up is uh, tribe, 
right? Like when you speak the language, you might not look like a Hispanic or a Latin American, but when you speak the language, there's a different respect. There is. Uh, and it's amazing. And I lived long enough in Latin America that I've got a pretty native accent. And, you know, in, in Argentina and Uruguay, where I was, you know, there are a lot of German, Germanic people. So you can fit in, even if you're Anglo looking. But uh, you're right. You have to speak well in order to get their respect. Yeah, I lived in Costa Rica for almost five years. Uh, I actually just moved back to the United States. All right. So quick little um, set, like little um, off off exit. So I got your book, right? And like, I, I read a lot, right? So some books are great, some books are shit. And I was like, I'm just going to give this one a shot. So I started reading it and like, I, like, I don't know anything, you know, I'm like, a, I'm like a baby, I'm like finding my legs. And then I read the part about Costa Rica, like that was the first part. And um, I was like, holy shit, this guy really knows, like, like he, he understands like the dynamic in that country. And I was like, okay, Great. Then I, then I started going through the sections and I was like, right, I'm going to, I'm going to read the, through the whole thing. Um, and I told my parents, my parents live in Spain right now. So I told my parents about the book. Um, they live in Alicante, by Alicante, Spain, uh, close to like Morocco, that area. Right. Right. And they were telling me, and I, and I read them the section about Spain and they're like, tell him when you speak to him, if you ever speak to him to tell them about the, um, the laws where if somebody comes to live in your house when you're not there, um, they can keep your house. Like if you're like a, like a person that lives outside, that's like one of their biggest fears when they leave the country is, um, what is it called? In the United States, they have it too. Um, yeah, squatting. Squatting. Their <laughs> squatting laws are some of the worst ever. I did uh, not realize that. That's great information. Thank you. I'll put that in the new, I'll put that in the new edition. <laughs> Volume five. Yes. <laughs> All right. So you 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 were talking about marxists in the government um i come from a communist country or a socialist country communism is essentially like uh the name for it right but um what why 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 do they want that here in the united states like well it isn't that they want that here you see the globalist they fund and, and arm communists in order to break down the social order and to create wars and come, so that they can come in with their more moderate form of communism, which is you own it, but we control it. This is called Fabian socialism, developed in uh, the middle of the last century. And uh, uh, it's very seductive because they can still tell you you're free, you still have your constitutional rights, but it's like the EU, they start to control everything about what you can buy, what you can write, what you can and cannot do. And that's the essence of, of globalist socialism. And it's a very seductive, uh, evil thing. But they use the communists, just like right now. George Soros and the globalists are funding Black Lives Matter and Antifa, and they have hired full-blown communists in the United States to run these organizations. And the communists think, wow, we're gonna finally get a chance to do our revolution. They don't realize that the globalists are gonna betray them, let them be uh, defeated after they cause enough chaos to of course pass a lot of socialist laws, et cetera, which will they'll do certainly under Biden and Harris if they win the election. Wow, that's, uh, that's a really incredible perspective. I mean, I remember when we were first leaving Chechnya, which I'd love to hear your perspective on. Um, in 1991, I was four and a half years old and my uncle was the minister of agriculture, I believe. Um, he was somewhere in the government. He was a Jew in like the government, you know? And um, they told him because they respected him. They were like, hey, um, it's coming and your family's gonna die if you don't leave. And the same night, like we packed up all our stuff. We went to Ukraine. Uh, we took the only train out. We hired a, a KGB agent to uh, take us to, on the train because there was already gunshots, like people were getting killed. Um, and and my, my, mom, my mom's Russian. She's Orthodox Christian and my dad's Jewish. So uh, we were definitely not welcome during that uh, upheaval yeah. in a yeah. place where everybody's supposed to be Muslim, but in a communist country, you're not allowed to practice religion. That's people right. forget about like, yeah. that's that's a huge tenet of communism like you can't practice religion you're not allowed to yeah so um when and then we came to the united states we came to new york so i i i have i have like very vague memories a lot of my memories are from stories that were told to me from family members that are still alive 
So I'd love to hear your perspective of like what happened in Chechnya from, from your perspective. Well, you have to understand the overall globalist objective is, uh, I, I've said in my world, and by the way, one of the things you didn't cover in, in your introduction is my current profession, and also for 20 years, I've been publishing the World Affairs Brief, which mm. is a news analysis service based upon what the deep state is doing under the table. Uh, that's my expertise. And uh, so there have been three major worldwide conspiracies major deceptions, worldwide propaganda deceptions that have been successful. The, the first happened in 1989 through 1991, and that's the phony fall of the Soviet Union. It didn't really happen. The Communist Party went underground. And, uh, you know, Eric Honecker of Germany on his deathbed in Chile said that Moscow gave him orders to let the, the riots, uh, the student protest in Leipzig, Germany, go forward. And everywhere they were told to step down and let the, the mo movement foment so that it appeared spontaneous, but it wasn't spontaneous. Now, that isn't to say that there wasn't a lot of internal desire to have freedom. There certainly was in all those countries. So it wasn't hard. All you had to do is, it's like in the Russian Revolution or the so-called fall of the Soviet Union. There was a video put out by some Russian dissidents and they said, you know, when we went out in support of Yeltsin for democracy, the thing we were all asking ourselves, where's the KGB? They're always here and they're not, they're not showing their face. They're not stopping us. They're not arresting us. Where's the KGB? Well, they've been told to stand down. The same thing happened in the Ukrainian uh, color revolution of uh, February 19, was it 97 or 2000? No. Where was the Maidan revolution? Uh, when, what was the date? Was it, I think it was 2013. Anyway, you know, they were having a clash between the protesters and the Berkut, which is the the uh, secret police or the riot police there in, in Ukraine. And, um, you know, Yanukovych uh, uh, made a deal with the opposition or at least the apparent leaders of the opposition and to let him stay in power and to give yield some things. And the people in the protest in the streets of Maidan and, and uh, said, those guys don't represent us. You know, they're not legitimate you know, protesters, and so they stayed in the streets. Well, on, that was on a Thursday, and on a Friday, the Bear Coot never showed up. They disappeared from the National Palace, from the legislature, there wasn't, the protesters had the run of everything, and that was supposedly the, the, the win of the revolution, but it wasn't a win at all. Only Yanukovych and the communists could have given orders to the Bear Coot to stand down and to stay in their barracks. The protesters couldn't have done that. Well, it's the same thing in Russia, you know. Who's to believe that that KGB couldn't take down Gorbachev in his undefended villa? You know, the phony Gorbachev coup? You know, just so many things that, you know, indicated that it was a, a phony a revolution. And why did they do that? They did it because they were losing the battle in terms of military and economic because of the communism doesn't produce the goods. And so they wanted to get more aid in Western trade, and that's exactly what the phony fall got. Well, the second major deception in the world was 9-11. It was pulled off by our deep state. It was not independent terrorists um, who did this operation. It was a deep state US government operation. When you analyze my 9-11 update on my, world, uh, on my World Affairs Brief website, I document most of the things that happen, all the cover-ups and things. Why would the government cover up if this was, you know, independent terrorism? It's because they hired the terrorists and they put the explosives in the buildings. They pulled the trigger on this stuff. The third one has been this COVID-19 um, grand deception. Um, it's not a deadly virus to normal people. It's only to older people, the same as the flu. It's a very bad case. In fact, we know that the thing that's driving this entire agenda is that the, the test, the COVID-19 test is not valid at all. The PCR test amplifies even rudimentary pieces of RNA until they get enough of them that they can get a positive reading. 92% of everyone who tests positive of COVID-19 not have COVID, but it drives the agenda and that's what's driving now. So, but going back to Chechnya, they created, when the phony fall of the Soviet Union happened, the, uh, 
the Russians came out and experienced for the first time liberty. And the communists couldn't allow this to go on. They didn't want to have free market things to be popular. That's why, for example, they came in and hired Harvard University, which is full of a bunch of Marxist political scientists. They hired Harvard University to come in and teach the Russians how to do a free market. Marxists teaching the Russians how to do free market, just baloney, it didn't work. And of course, the communists kept control of the transportation system and nothing is free in an economy if you keep control of the transportation system. But still, Americans were very popular yeah, after the fall of the Soviet Union. We could be free, we could start to travel. And when Americans would travel over, they were very popular. They wanted to learn about America and what was happening. And so what they decided to do, and this took place not only in Chechnya, um, is they wanted to poison the Muslim people in Southern Europe against America and against you know, this intervention. Because it's the Americans that, that uh, basically gave the go ahead to the slaughter. And they were handling both sides as they do in, in, uh, in most things. And is it the same thing in Serbia versus, um, The Albanians, well, they, they basically, the US deep state shipped in a bunch of Albanian communists into um, uh, Kosovo. And it wasn't the Serbians that drove out the Kosovarians. It was the Albanian communists that came in and threatened the Kosovarian leaders and said, you better pull out or we're gonna slaughter you. And they blamed it on Serbia. They faked a massacre, you know, between Serbia and Kosovo to uh, of supposedly Serbian soldiers. And then what did the US do? In their intervention, they came in and bombed civilian targets. They bombed hospitals, bridges, roads. They did everything they could to poison the people against America. And so with the globalist intervention in Chechnya and Kosovo and Serbia, suddenly it worked. In other words, Americans became unpopular in Russia. They became you know, the evil bullies of the world. And that's a globalist objective because ultimately the globalists have been funding and giving military technology to Russia and China to build two major enemies. They want a third world war to get the West into a nuclear holocaust. And it won't be a total holocaust. They know that the Russians and Chinese intend to strike military targets only in the uh, in the West and in Britain and France, the nuclear targets, the submarine bases in, the, in Scotland. And they wanna blackmail the West into submission, but they aren't gonna strike cities. So the globalists have their bunkers and they know that if we continue to build these enemies, eventually they'll strike us because they are communists. It's in their DNA to, to, to strike the West. They know they're planning. The US has spies in both China and, and Russia. Um, but you see, the globalists want this strike to decapitate the American military so they can come out of their bunkers and say, oh, we didn't realize this was gonna happen. But now that our military has been decapitated, the only thing we can do to survive is to join together in a militarized global government to fight this war. And that's how the United States will finally get, despite all the anti-globalist feeling there is around the world, that's how the US will get, the only way the US will get into a third world or a militarized global government is by letting a first strike fall. Now, that is the deepest fear your people ought to know about. That is the deepest fear, this nuclear war that's coming and a first strike that will be allowed to fall. And how do I know that? Because in 1997, President Clinton, a Democrat, signed Presidential Decision Directive 60. It wasn't written by him. It was written by a bunch of globalist within his administration, within the nuclear disarmament movement. And basically it directed our nuclear forces to absorb a nuclear first strike and then retaliate afterwards. And General Butch Needle, the Marine Corps said, retaliate with what? Once you've absorbed a nuclear first strike, all you've got is your submarines left. And in 1997, President Clinton also gave an executive order saying, that all ballistic missile or 50% of all our ballistic missile submarines have to remain in port. There are only two ports, Kings Bay, Georgia, and Bangor, Washington in the Seattle area. They have to remain in port at all times. So when one goes out, another one has to come in. 
And he said, we're going to do this to make ourselves vulnerable, to prove to the Russians that we have no hostile intentions. Suicide, militarily. Because ballistic missile submarines don't have big enough warheads on them to hit, penetrate hardened targets. And it's not our nuclear position to hit Russian cities to kill civilians per se. So you see, this is a recipe for, um, for decapitating, the, for inviting Russia and China to decapitate the military. And now you might ask, how would the United States win such a war after absorbing a nuclear first strike? Well, General Mattis, uh, when he gave a speech to a Booz Allen accounting conference, a very high level, deep state connected, big five, big three accounting firm, he told these people, and it was leaked in the press, he said, you would be surprised how many trillions of dollars we have spent in space that aren't on the budget. Now that was just before the space command was announced. But I believe that the United States actually did build brilliant pebbles, the space-based interceptor concept, uh, because that's how you defeat hypersonic uh, ballistic missiles is that you hit them in their boost phase when they're slow before they've gone hypersonic and you hit them from space. But I believe the US will not use those weapons. They have never been revealed. They will not use them until after the first strike. Then they will use them to stop any further, to, to, to thumb their nose at the blackmail and stop any further strikes so that they can talk Americans into joining a military and then they can regroup under that military and prosecute the war. It's also my theory, and it's just a theory, that just as the globalist made a pact with Russia to get it to betray uh, Hitler during World War II, so as to they will make a pact with China to betray Russia in World War III. China and Russia are temporarily ally, uh, allied to take down the West, but they both know being communists like communists are, they'll have to fight each other for domination after the West is removed. Well, the West won't be removed. And when China realizes that, they will agree to the deal with the US and, and attack Russia. And Russia then will be defeated, I believe, in World War III. So that it'll be China, the new Cold War enemy versus the global military. And the globalists want that because how, then, you don't, then you have an excuse not to give sovereignty back to individual nations because we got this new Cold War threat of China. So we can't go back to individual nations. We've got to maintain this powerful globalist army in order to, uh, to counteract China. But believe me, China's very aggressive. I covered in my World Affairs Brief in April 27th issue, the speech by Defense Minister of China, uh, China Hao Tian, he gave a farewell speech when he was leaving the defense ministry in 2011, and it was leaked to Epic Times, which is a anti-communist Chinese newspaper. And he said some dramatic things in private to the communist leaders. He said, you know, we're not gonna be like the Nazis. We, we're gonna cleanse the United States and Canada because we want the living space, but we're not gonna be nice. We are gonna be ruthless and we are developing biological weapons, he says, to do that cleansing. And that's what you know the Wuhan virus was about. Although our own globalist, Dr. Fauci, uh, transferred that technology to China, along with a $700 million grant in order to, because the United States Congress got wind of the NIH sponsoring uh, enhancement of function on for biological weapons being done by North Carolina University at Chapel Hill, and they, they stopped the funding. So Fauci took $700 million and gave it to China to continue the funding, knowing, I believe, knowing that the sloppy protocols at Chinese bioweapons labs would cause it to leak out. And I think that's what it did. I don't think China deliberately leaked it to their own people. Um, but I think uh, it was sloppy disposal of gloves in, in, in garbage bins, you know, that were ravaged by people in the fish market there. And I think that's how it spread around. But I think the globalists knew that. They predicted this pandemic. Fauci said in 2016, that President Trump is gonna face a major pandemic during his presidency. So he knew, he knew. So the question that comes up for me that I think the listeners all have, like this almost reads like a science fiction. 
Like it's, it's, it's so, all right. So my first question on that idea is like, cause a lot of people are going to listen to this and they're going to be like, this guy's crazy. Right. So my, my question is how, like, where do you get your information? Um, where you're able to form like these hypotheses or theories uh, about like what's going to happen. Um, yeah, I guess that's my first question. Well, in the first place, I don't use claimed insider sources. With NSA spying out, there's nobody who could claim to be on the inside and leak to conservatives and not get caught. You just can't do it. So Alex Jones claims insider sources, uh, David Icke claims them, uh, Mike Adams claims it, Hal Turner claims insider sources. But I tell you, they're just feeding them disinformation and they're wrong all the time. You know, a lot of hype, Chinese troops massing on the border of Canada, ready to invade, it's not true. Yes, there is a company of troops training on an island near Vancouver Island. It's not troops massing. I mean, what a what's a company of Chinese troops do? You know, you. you you got to be realistic. I'm a military man and an officer, and I know what it takes to do mount an invasion of another country. We're talking about millions of men, ships, and other things, not a company of, of troops. But that's the kind of hype that happens. So, what are my sources? My sources really are the fact that I've probably been studying, along with my uncle, the deep state and the this globalist conspiracy for almost 50 years now. So there's nobody that has more experience in tracking what they've done. I mean, I tra my uncle tracked the fact that the United States during Lend-Lease gave Russia the rest of the plans to the nuclear weapons they couldn't steal in the Manhattan Project. He tracked the fact that they gave them the first enriched uranium to explode their first nuclear weapon a year after Hiroshima. Now, they, the, the Russians didn't know how to enrich in uranium. They had the plans, but they couldn't build the bomb. So the globalists gave them that. And going back to the communist infiltration, you talk about one of the primary ones that uh, in the Roosevelt and Truman administration was Alger Hiss. Well, Alger Hiss, I believe, was actually a globalist. He only joined the Communist Party so that they wouldn't question why he was helping them out. Ah, uh, he's one of us. Uh, you know, he's secretly one of us. The, you know, he was urbane. He was sophisticated. There's no way he was a common, ordinary communist. It's the same thing with Henry Kissinger. He went over and joined the Communist Party in East Germany, and then he defects to the West. And so he's been operating as a globalist. Uh, you know, he gave away the Vietnam War to China. He gave China entrance into the United Nations, gave them a seat on the Security Council. And so what do the communists think? Oh, he's one of us. That's why he's doing it. He isn't. He's a globalist who's using the communists, tricking them to think he's one of them. But in fact, they end up betraying them in the end. So it's a, you know, nobody really says I'm crazy. I mean, I have a lot of credibility. If anybody subscribes to my World Affairs Brief, I document everything I have. For example, PD60. You can still read it. Now, it's, it's a top secret thing. What is it called? Presidential Decision Directive 60. PDD60. Mm. All right. It was signed in November or in, in 1997. Now your listeners can actually read a copy, not of the actual directive, but of one of the people who helped write it. His name is Craig Cernillo. And he's part of a disarmament movement. He's on the left and he helped write it. The Washington Post came out in 1997 and says, oh, don't worry about this revamping of the nuclear posture. We can still launch on warning. And he came out and, and wrote this article in Arms Control and said, no, they can't. PDD-60 absolutely prohibits launching on warning and you must absorb a nuclear first strike before you retaliate. So you can read that in, in the November issue, 1997 of armscontroltoday.org. So I've got the goods on them. And I, I was the one who announced this in 1997. And this is one of the things which I, uh, when I went on Coast to Coast, a major late night radio show with Art Bell, and it just caused a sensation. Art Bell just couldn't believe it. And he looked it up right there on the internet and said, yep, there it is, presidential decision there, absorb a nuclear first strike. So this is not just hypothesis. Now, my idea 
that the globalists will cut a deal with China to defeat Russia is my hypothesis, and I have nothing to back that up, except for the fact they did it in World War II. Remember, Russia and Germany were allied to take on the West, and Russia betrayed Hitler, and the U.S. induced that and gave them lots of... I mean, when Americans were starving, we were shipping food to Russia. When American women couldn't buy washing machines or sewing, we were shipping them to Russia. That's not strategic goods. We built truck plants. We built aircraft plants. We gave them because why? I mean, certainly the globalists knew these were communists, that they were an enemy that didn't like us, but they wanted to build that enemy because they knew that World War II would give us the United Nation, but it would have no teeth. And in fact, we find that in the archives of the US government, they were using the terms United Nations and United Nations troops even years before they actually passed the UN Charter. Now that's conspiracy. That's conspiracy to hide from the American people this idea of an international global government. But they need one more war. They need one more war to get Americans out of a national sovereignty and Britons and French and Germans into a global government. And that's what this World War III is all about. So I want to segue to the next question with a quote from Albert Einstein. He said, I don't know which weapons World War III will be fought with, but I know World War IV will be fought with sticks and stones. <laughs> so why, why can't we all just get along? Like what, what is going on? Like what is the, like there's more than enough resources on this planet to, to feed every single person on this. I did, a, I did a calculation a few years ago because I was talking to my grandpa and, I, and my grandfather was like, oh, it's so important because like he grew up Soviet, right? So like their whole thing is like military might. And I was like, you, do you understand that the United States spends more money on its military than the next nine countries combined? It was like $800 billion or something the year that we were looking. And then I researched what the... Um, theoretical numbers from like calculations to end world hunger. And it was like a hundred billion dollars or something, which is like a seventh portion of the U of the U S military budget, which is like, what is going on that like, what is the purpose of this? And how long has this been going on? Has this been going on for thousands of years? Where, where is our recorded history? Cause we only have, well, you know, you, you, you don't really know the history of the world unless you know the history of conspiracy. Men have conspired to control money, to control power ever since the beginning of time. But the essential thing that, to answer your question, why can't people get along? It's why do they need to control and have power and go to war, et cetera? The reason is because there's systematic evil in the world. Everybody isn't good. There's systematic evil. Now, I don't know what your religious upbringing is, but you know, most people believe that there is a God. And if you understand the scriptures, you see that God has intervened very occasionally in dramatic ways, which cannot be explained by physical science. But in the same sense, the scriptures are very, very clear that there is a Satan and that God allows that Satan to have a great deal of power because this earth is a testing place. Now, um, you know, it's just like, you know, I come from a family of 10 kids, 10 children. That's a big family in America. And, you know, my mother said to me something. She said, you know, within a month of every one of you children being born, I could tell that each one of you had a separate and individual personality. And that personality has never changed your entire life. It's your innate set points and spirit. And, you know, here's... 10 kids born in the exact same environment to the exact same genes, to the exact same parents, and every kid is different. Now, that, in my theological view, is because we have an innate spirit that, that we developed before we came here and that drives what we are. And that's why you can pit everybody through propaganda, even in Russia and even in Chechnya and other, and some people don't buy it. Some people sense that it's wrong. Your father bought it, but you didn't, you see? And there's something inside each person that's different and uh, they can't control that. But I'll tell you, they are trying to control the physical environment 
And that's why the Soviets reverted to the gulag system. That's why the Chinese have their concentration and their re-education. That's why the North Koreans have them. They hate people who don't buy the propaganda and they have to destroy them. They have to imprison them. They have to re-educate them. And this is what I'm afraid of, is this COVID-19, this latest dramatic worldwide conspiracy is meant to get people used to living under emergency orders permanently. I don't think they intend to let us free from this mass mania. I think they're just going to keep pushing this. You know, they picked a, a test that picks up if you're gonna do a conspiracy about a pandemic, you pick a coronavirus, said one expert, because it's everywhere. The common cold is a coronavirus. Influenza is a coronavirus. You know, if you wanna pick a pandemic and have a positive test to nearly everybody, then pick a coronavirus. And that's exactly what they do. Wow. So what I'm saying here is that, and this is very, very serious, is that our liberty is going to start to be severely restricted because of this pandemic in terms of travel. Once this vaccine comes out, that's going to be the price. They're going to say, and you don't want to take this vaccine. It's going to be very dangerous. All vaccines are unhealthy. Everybody has some side effects with vaccines. Don't take them. But they're going to make you pay a price. You're not going to be able to travel on an airliner. If you don't take the vaccine, you, may, you won't be able to go to public schools. You may not be able to go to a university. You see, that's why they want these positive tests uh, to drive the mask agenda, divide the social, which isn't stopping, so that when the vaccine comes out, they say, now, if you want to be free from a mask, from social, you've got to take the vaccine. And then they'll tell you, and Fauci has already said this, it may not work, you may need a yearly booster shot, so you'll have to keep going. So you see what I'm saying? They've got us locked in. Uh, the big corporations are going along with this mask mania. And I could see them saying, you can't work at IBM, you can't work at Target or Walmart unless you take the vaccine. And that's going to be a tough choice for people. A tough yeah. choice. All right. So that's a perfect segue. So now, how, how does one prepare? How does one how does one maintain his or her, or let's say her, right? Let's say her liberties or his liberties? Like, how does one... Yeah, on the external physical plane, because that, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. So, first of all, get over the idea that anyone in politics is going to save us and stop this. All right, stop, you know, because that's only going to stop you from preparing. If you drink the Kool-Aid and you think Donald Trump is going to drain the swamp, you're kidding yourself. Donald Trump, Donald Trump, sure. <laughs> Donald once, Trump. <laughs> once, once he saw Bill, uh, James Comey betray him, he realized this guy's deep state. So what does he do? He goes to his advisors who are deep state, deep state and say, give me, a, give me a replacement. They give him Christopher Wray, who's deep state. Jeff Sessions was a, an idiot, you know, and it didn't help him out. It was very, very controlled. He wasn't deep state necessarily, but I think he was controlled. And so he goes to advisors, give me another, you know, nominee for attorney general. They give him Bill Barr, who was deep state. He ran the deep state under George H.W. Bush. He covered up for Iran-Contra. He covered up for all of this uh, stuff going on. He covered up for all the drug running that was going on during the Iran-Contra. So forget about anyone saving us and getting us back to traditional liberty. That's gone. The deep state is unstoppable. And remember, the deep state is not just a bunch of Trump holdovers in the bureaucracy trying to, I mean, Obama holdovers in the bureaucracy trying to remove Donald Trump. The deep state is deadly. They killed JFK. They killed Martin Luther King. They killed Robert F. Kennedy. They covered up for TWA 800, that shoot down, which was a Navy missile that took it down. And they concocted the story about you know, um, fuel tank explosion, spent millions of dollars on it. They did 9-11. This is deadly. This is a lethal organization that has infiltrated every law enforcement agency in the federal government and in and most large Democrat, democratic cities. They control coroners. They can falsify the death of anybody. They control police chiefs. Uh, this is a bad scene. So let me get down to the answers. How do you protect yourself? Well, in the first place, you've got to get out of the big cities because that's where the control agenda is. 
population density is your biggest enemy, no matter what happens in the world, whether it's a, a hurricane or tornado, or whenever there's a cutoff supplies, et cetera, an EMP strike, which will come 15 minutes before this nuclear first strike on military targets, not cities, but military targets by Russia and China. There's gonna be a Mad Max scenario in every major city within three days. Pillaging, people shooting each other, you know, and police are not gonna be able to control. You don't wanna be in those big cities. The great benefit of what's gonna happen, if there is any benefit at all, is that a lot of good people, conservatives, religious people, are still in the big cities because that's where the jobs are. And that's gonna end. There won't be any jobs. The job won't be keeping you there anymore. It's not coming back after the kind of destruction, you know, pillaging that's going on. So people will flee. And fortunately, I think they're going to have new, more conservative, libertarian majorities in rural areas where they coalesce. Um, and the Democratic-controlled, uh, you know, metro areas are going to die. New York's going to die. It's going to be a dead city already. I mean, that's people are unhealthy in these cities. The air is polluted. They eat junk food, you know. Um, it's just not healthy to do that. Now, in order to avoid the, the trap of control, which comes with a, a global new world order, just like the EU had these control mechanisms over Britain, once the, EU's, uh, the global military uh, or global government is established, You've got to get used to getting your kids out of public schools. If you have children of age, you're going to have to start homeschooling because you're going to have to take the vaccine. And besides, public schools are just propaganda mills. They never learn about the Constitution. They never learn a lot of libertarian principles of law. and They never learn about religious principles. Oh, they'll teach you about Muslim things, but they won't teach you about religious principles. They won't teach you about the founding fathers except to denigrate them. Number two, you're going to have to stay out of the establishment medical system. And fortunately, there is a plethora, a wonderful of alternative medical things. They're proven that, you know, you don't even have to- For thousands of years. For thousands yeah, of years. Thousands of years. And you don't have to fear COVID-19. If you take, you know, I take 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C every day. I never get the cold. I never get the flu. And you take zinc and you take vitamin D3 to get plenty of sunshine and you exercise and you don't get fat, you're not obese, you don't eat junk food. It's not just eating healthy. I mean, you've got to avoid junk food and the pesticides, the diet cokes and phony sugars. Glyphosate and, and all that shit. That's right. The glyphosate, you know, go GMO. Uh, this stuff is really dangerous to your, to your health then you don't have to fear these pandemics. Then you don't get chronically ill. You don't have to go to the hospital. And for birth, start to you in, in the United States, in every state of the union, it's legal to go to a lay midwife, certified lay midwife, who's very highly trained, uh, but they're not connected with doctors and the protocols and have your babies at home. But don't go to the hospital because I have subscribers who've told me that the women go to the hospital, even though she was planning home birth, she had an emergency, had to go to the hospital, they wouldn't give her her child back for three months because she refused to have a vaccine. Three months. Boy, I'll tell you, you don't want to go into a hospital if you, don't, if you can help it. And you're going to have to stay away probably from big corporations that are going to mandate vaccines. And things. That means train up your children to be entrepreneurs. There are plenty of things to do. You know, in terms of the war and surviving the war, teach your children. I don't care if they're going to be a doctor or a lawyer. Teach them to weld. Teach them to be mechanical, uh, repair things, to build so they can build their own houses and things because that's how you're going to be hurt. Those are the skills that are still going to be needed to repair the world when there is pillaging and other things. People who can work with their hands and who have spare parts and I talk in, in my books, for example, the secure home about barter items. I mean, can you imagine how to build things if you don't have nails or if you don't have grabber screws or if you don't have glues or tape or you can't home manufacture that stuff. Stockpile it. Eliminate your future need for money. You see what I'm saying? You know, a lot of people say, how do I, how do I get enough money and do I put it in all gold and silver? Well, remember, it's going to be very difficult to barter gold and silver because very few people recognize whether it is 
valid or not, or what it is. My brother, who's a wealthy economist, he gives out silver dollars as tips. And more and more people in New York and Washington don't know what it is. What's this man? What's this man? But it's a silver dollar. It's worth 20 bucks. Oh, really? It's not utilitarian, though. It has no real utilitarian use unless you make something out of it. That's right. Guns so do, see, though. So what you do, what you need to do, and that's why I have worked on these various books over the years, you need to get strategic relocation to know where the safe places are. And even if you can't leave the city with your job, at least you can get to the outskirts of the metropolitan area so that you're not trying to be getting on the freeway and get across, you know, 40 miles of traffic in, in LA, you know, get on the outskirts so that you can be the first one out of town and have a place to go. Whether it's, if you can't afford it with a relative or friends, just make arrangements, to have a place to go. And uh, then you've got to secure your home in the sense that there's gonna be pillaging. The most important thing you can do is to have a safe room in your home. And that means that you need a home with a basement. It's just not possible unless you've got a 5,000 square foot house to conceal a safe room within a, a main floor residence. You need basement space where you can't see the confines of the house and you wanna be able to put a, a room that's concealed. And in my books, I talk about concealment strategies, um, but you need something that's fallout proof as well because even though cities won't be hit by the first strike, there will be fallout everywhere in the United States from these strikes. So you need, have fallout in that safe room and my book the high security shelter book talks about how to do that. it's fairly inexpensive actually if you've got an existing base so you want to pick a place of strategic relocation you want to have a good water supply the one thing that the intermountain west is so highly related is because all the water supply are in reservoirs in the mountain it's gravity fed to the cities whereas out in the midwest you have to pump it into these water tanks and then gravity feed into the homes and that's going to be at risk when the electricity goes down so it's important to eliminate your future need for money by stockpiling and it doesn't do any stockpile if you haven't got it secure in a safe room. So it's got to be big enough to have all of your year's supply of food and your, you need tools in a safe room to fix things. You've got to have your own battery power so that you're not relying on electricity if it goes down. You should have enough battery power in a safe room to last uh, at least a month or two. And that's not hard to do with lithium ion phosphate batteries and LED lights. And you have some fans and ventilation to deal with. Uh, water tanks, you need them in the shelter so that you've got your self-contained water supply. So there's a lot that you have to do. And I realize it may seem overwhelming for your listeners, but remember if you start now, I still think this war isn't gonna come till the latter half of this decade. And it will be by Russia and China attacking the US. So we're going to experience firsthand what it is to be in a real war. So you've got time, I think, to start to maneuver. You've got time to start to prepare and save for it. What are your thoughts on guns, ammunition, and growing your own food? I believe in total self-sufficiency, and that's one of the problems about being in a suburban area. I really recommend people get into rural areas because if you're in a suburban backyard and you're growing tomatoes in a crisis, they're going to be picked clean and stolen before they're even ripe. So you've got to be far enough away that you can grow a garden without, you know, molestation. Now, it's when, when the whole world starts to panic and you have refugee flows and large trains of people, it's just like World War II when the Germans were fleeing the Russian troops coming in. Just no food, just the clothes on their back, and eventually started to pillage the countryside within a mile from the roads. Just, it was a sad state of affair. You don't want to be in those refugee flows. You want to stockpile, you want to have the foods that you want. I think because of the EMP strike, it'll be at least six months before the electricity is fully reestablished and things start to slowly get back together. I think we may have famine for a year in this country. So be prepared to grow food. You've got to store seeds. You've got to start now to practice. You've got to know what the soil's like. You've got to know what it takes to grow a garden. Don't let the first crop failure be the one that you need to survive. Wow. That's uh, some powerful, powerful advice. Powerful yeah. advice for sure. All right. So you talked, you talked, you touched on diet and you touched on nutrition. What does your diet and nutrition look like? I mean, you look great. Like for how old are you? Like 55, 60? I'm 74 years old. Ooh, look at you. You, you yeah. could be modeling for GQ at 74. <laughs> but I've, 
I still run three miles. I still do 30 push-ups, 30 sit-ups. Uh, you know, I do, you know, 10, 15 pull-ups. So I, I, st I keep in shape, but I do eat a lot of fruits and vegetables. I eat organic. I eat meat sparingly, but I'm, I'm not a vegetarian. I do eat meat to get the, the protein and do, to keep that up. Uh, but I don't eat any junk food. You know, it's, it's amazing if you just, if you don't overeat and you eat natural stuff and a lot of raw stuff. And I mean, it's not hard to be healthy. Now, if you've got yourself 20, 30, 40 pounds overweight, and you've been eating diet, drinking Diet Coke for years and junk food and things, you know, it's going to take you maybe five years to get cleansed up. And so doing a cleanse and, and uh, but you need to take some vitamins and minerals and things. But most of all, I'm a real believer in card hard cardiovascular exercise to keep in shape. You know, when you go out and run or you bicycle hard where you're breathing hard, it cleanses the bloodstream. I tell people for years, I, I used to have migraines until I learned to run them off. And that's the most painful thing you think, going out and running when you got a headache. And it is for the first 20, 10 minutes or so. But once you start breathing, it circulates all those bad chemicals out of the blood and your vessels stop throbbing and it goes away. Believe it or not, it goes away. Now, you, you know, and it gets easier the more you train your body to, to do that. And now I don't have any migraines at all because I have fixed the internal problems with exercise and diet so that I don't get them anymore. Incredible. I think that is the most useful primary advice for most of the listeners to start with is eat organic food, uh, drink clean water, exercise, take care of yourself. Because how the hell are you going to take care of your home, take yeah. care of your family if you're half blind from drinking Coke? That, that's where I started. That's where my conspiracy brain started was with nutrition because I was yeah. sick for so long. And yeah. I had, a, as an immigrant, when you come to the country, they send you to all the uh, Medicare or Medicaid, whatever, wh whatever you get when you're young. Um, they send you to all the doctors that are in that affiliate network and you get all the injections, yeah. all of them. It took me years to clean out my heavy metals. It That's took me right. years to clean out my parasites. It took me years of like heavy detox to get to the point where, I mean, I'm in the best health I've ever been in. And it's because of the things that you just said. Yeah, I was in the military. They shot us full of vaccines. It took me maybe 10 years to get over the effects of vaccines. I mean, just don't take them. You're like, if you got a health, I just don't get sick anymore. That's what you want to be. You know, don't let this fear mongering about this pandemic is just not going to touch you if you're healthy. And if you get a little bit of it, pump up the vitamin C and the D3 and the zinc and other things. And man, it's over in two or three days. Yeah. And slow down. That's a yeah. big one for me. Yeah. Like when, when people hit, like uh, contact me and they're like, Hey Rome, what should I do? I was like, just slow down, like slow down your life. Like get off the computer, get off the phone. I wrote this earlier today and I said, you know, men, it used to take uh, physical force like rape, murder, slavery to control a man's mind. Now it's just a six to eight inch uh, tablet that they hold in their hands, you know? It's so simple, like we used to have men. And the quote rings for me all the time that I've been thinking about for the last year is like, uh, hard times make strong men and strong men make weak men and weak men make hard times. And it's a cycle that we've been in for so it long. It really is, it really is, it's all through history. Let me just yeah. say that for any of you who want to get a free sample copy of my World Affairs Brief, there's a modest subscription of $48 a year, but you can get a free sample copy just by emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. And you can go to my website, World Affairs Brief, and it tells you that with a, a, a summary of, of today's or it comes out every Friday of the current World Affairs Brief. But, uh, Perfect. I'm, I'm going to add all of the links, all of your links for all your books. All right. So a little bit more of your time. So I have this thing called a, basically like a lightning round where you just give like a short answer to a question. Okay. Um, what is the one thing that you would love to upload into the minds of everyone into the, in the world? How to listen to their conscience. Prime, two primary signals, nervous feelings warning you when something's not quite right and pushing feelings or promptings to do something. And that comes when you don't feel like it. 
you know, get up on time to go do something. Listen to that conscience. It will guide like nothing else. Yeah. Outside of your books, uh, what is the top book that you've given as a gift throughout your life? You know, that's a really hard one for me because I'm analytical and I don't agree with everything. And I, it's hard for me to recommend things because it comes with so many, many caveats. Um, but I probably would say you need a book on, um, I'm going to, I'm going to recommend a, a DVD instead. It's called <laughs> 9, 9-11 Mysteries. 9-11 Mysteries will take you through the entire 9-11 false flag event by the deep state and show you exactly where the explosives were, how they did it, how they covered it up, et cetera. Wow. Okay. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> if you were a food, what kind of food would you be? I would probably be a strawberry. One mm. of the tastiest, finest fruits just always refreshes. <laughs> I, I love it. If you were an animal, what kind of animal would you be? Oh, I would probably, let's see. Um, I would probably be a guard dog. Ooh, what kind? Would you be like a cane corso or like a Doberman pincher? No, I'm, 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 uh, I'm not that, well, I could be aggressive against evil. I would probably be a great Pyrenees. Ooh, wow. Somebody who's, who's gentle with good people, but ferocious against the bad. Wow, what an interesting uh, breed. I love it. All right, if you were dying, what would be your last meal? You know, I, uh, I think it would just be a bowl of fruit. I just love fruit. I love it. Wholesome, natural fruit. I wouldn't overeat if I was dying, but I'd like a bowl of fruit. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> what, would, what, would you, what would you have as your last experience? It could be as long as you want, as short as you want, and who would you share it with? I would bring my, my family around me, and I would review with them very clearly what's going on in the world, how they need to lead their life by listening to conscience to guide them through the unknown. You know, I'm a real believer in, in conscience. You know, if I'm just going to take a, just a couple more seconds on that. Of course. That there is a, there's a little unit inside your head that receives external input, spiritual input. I don't know whether it's electronic. I don't think it is, but it's there. When you get a reminder, for example, how many times you're walking out the door and you remember to go back and get something, you say, oh, I'm glad I remembered that. Well, was it you? Well, just try this, for example. Just try giving thanks to God for every good reminder they have and see if they don't increase. And I'll tell you, they will. They increase when you recognize the source. But I'll tell you, the interesting thing about conscience is that it comes in your own voice and your own grammar. It sounds like you talking to yourself. You can never distinguish it. Well, I won't say it. Occasionally, people have said that, you know, spiritual voices talk to them and warn them and said, don't go in there or something. But that isn't the way it deals. Most people, 99.9% .9 people, it, it comes as we talking to ourselves. It's, it's an idea receiver. And the idea, and it sounds like us talking to ourselves. And what's interesting, when you get a nervous feeling not to do something, immediately you get a counter signal. Oh, no, it's okay. Yeah, go ahead. No, 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 it's not. There's this kind of this battle, especially if it's something you want to do, but you're getting nervous feelings about it. That's the interplay with the dark side and the light side, in my opinion. And when you get a prompting to do something like that you don't feel like doing, you know, like when I was a kid, I always get a prompt to do your homework now, you know, and immediately, no, no, you could do it later. You want to play with your friends. You, want, you recognize that interplay, you know, you get those feelings. You get a prompting that you should get up or that you should go help your wife. Oh, no, I'm too tired. You, know, you get this interview. It sounds like you're talking to yourself, but it's not. There's, when you really listen to conscience, you get this. You realize there's two separate voices talking to you in your own tongue. But that's the good side of the dark side. And I'll tell you, I have trained my children to listen to that voice, and they've all become self-disciplined. I sent my son at 12 years old to Uruguay from Oregon alone because I knew I could trust him because he had learned to listen to conscience. 
he went all alone to live with a friend of mine down in Uruguay as a ham radio opera, went from apartment building looking for ham radio operas, finally called me on the radio all the way from Uruguay one day, 12 years old, came back fluent in Spanish. Now that's what happens. That's how you can trust your kids if you teach them to listen to conscience and you have to teach them self-control too. I mean, conscience is very, very easy to, to say, uh, get out of here, you know, to, to not listen to. So it takes a lot of self-control to force yourself to do what you know you should do, especially when you don't feel it. It takes a lot of self-control to avoid, you listen to a nervous feeling, to not go there, not say that, or not do that when you want to do it. Incredible. So that's, that's my lesson. I love it. Well, I mean, I was going to ask, if you were dying, the last piece of advice. That's it. Listen that, that would to be it. Listen to conscience. So I, I don't know if you're going to choose to be buried or uh, crucified. I mean, not crucified. Uh, what is it called uh, when you're burned? Cremated. Cremated. No, I'm going to be buried. Yeah. Okay. What is going to be the line on your tombstone? I told you so. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I guess that answers the next question. Like, what is your driving force? <laughs> I love it. Joel, thank you so much. Uh, I am truly grateful for you sharing your time with me. And uh, I, first of all, I learned so much. And I, I believe that my listeners will, uh, will benefit from this, from our conversation greatly. Uh, is there anything that I didn't ask or that we didn't touch on that you want to share with the listeners? No, I think we really covered everything in a basic way. There's so much more to learn. You know, I've got 10 hours of things I can talk about in my head, but uh, this is enough for now. And I would encourage people to get a sample of my World Affairs Brief, see what my worldview is, because I'll tell you, it's, you really need the best information you can get to sort out the conspiracies that are going on, the real conspiracies that are going on in our lives. It's not going to turn out pretty. Come on. Well, hopefully you're wrong, right? <laughs> hopefully it's going to be pretty, but I get it. Yeah, I get it. Uh, but that, that I'm going to end it with, the, with this one quote that I really enjoy, uh, that it's ra I'd rather be uh, a warrior in the garden than a gardener at war. <laughs> very, very good. So thank you so much, Joel. I really appreciate you. And um, yeah, I'll let you know when this is out. Thank you. All right. My pleasure. All right, brother. Thank you. Have a great night. Thank Bye. you. For listening to the Alchemy of Self podcast. If you resonate with our message, please show us some love by hitting the subscribe button and giving us a like. You can also visit our website at www.romza.com to continue your journey of self-discovery and keep up with our latest offerings. With love and harmony from all of us at the Alchemy of Self podcast.